0: What better way to finish a gym workout than to rush home, turn on your favorite podcasting service, may that be Apple Podcasting, uh, Google Podcasting, Spotify, Stitcher, any one of those things, and put it on this very podcast after your exercises from the gym that's right ladies and gentlemen today's tuesday episode is well not sponsored but dedicated to those gym rats those gym mice squeak squeak all y'all going to the gym and working hard and then coming home and listening to this podcast without further ado i'll get into the summarized pieces of news we will be looking at this tuesday night The first piece of news that we have are scientists have discovered rocks in northern China that may be the oldest fossils of vegetation ever found. So uh, I wanted to bring some more news about China. Not so much about the coronavirus as it's spreading a lot of fear. Maybe something a little bit more positive in this uh, piece that we have here. Our second piece will be about Syria and uh, the deaths of 16 people today. Uh, due to airstrikes. Uh, We're going to dive into that and what's going on in Syria. Um, And our third piece of news is going to be about Japan and the 2020 Olympics and the window of kind of, I guess, opportunity that they have if they will be postponing or uh, cancelling certain events for the Olympics, uh, depending on the coronavirus outbreak. So, Sit back, grab a bag of popcorn, because you are listening to A Mention with Kevin. Let's dive right in. So, for our st- first story... Scientists have spotted rocks from northern China, what may be the oldest fossils of a green plant ever found. Tiny seaweed that carpeted areas of the seafloor roughly a billion years ago and were part of a primordial revolution among life on Earth. Researchers researchers, uh, researchers said Monday that the plant called Protocrocladus antiquus was about the size of a rice grain and boasted numerous thin branches, thriving in shallow water while attached to the seafloor with a root-like structure. It may seem small, but Proterocladus, a form of green algae, was one of the largest organisms of its time. Sharing the seas mainly with bacteria and other microbes, it engaged in photosynthesis, transforming energy from sunlight into chemical energy and producing oxygen. Protochrocladus antiquitus is a close relative of the ancestor of all green plants alive today, said Xing Tang, a Virginia Tech postdoctorate researcher in paleobiology who detected the fossils in rock dug up in Li- Liangnung province near the city of Dalian and is lead author of the study published in the journal Nature, Ecology, and Evolution. Earth's biosphere depends heavily on plants for food and oxygen. The first land plants, thought to be descendants of green seaweeds, appeared about 450 million years ago. There was an evolutionary shift on Earth, perhaps 2 billion years ago, from simple bacteria like cells, to the first members of a group called eukaryotes that spans fungi, plants, and animals. The first plants were single-celled organisms. The transition to multi plants like protocaryoclatus was a pivotal development that paved the way for the riot of plants that have inhabited the world, from ferns to sequoias to venous flytraps. Proteroclatus is 200 million years older than the previous earliest known green seaweed. One of its modern relatives is a type of edible seaweed called sea lettuce. Proteroclatus represents the oldest unambiguous green plant fossil. Fossils of of possible older single-celled green plants are still a matter of debate. Plants were not the first to practice photosynthesis. They had an ancestor that apparently acquired the photosynthesis cellular apparatus from a type of bacteria called cyanobacteria. The ancestor of all green plants gave rise to two major branches. One of them includes some aquatic plants and all land plants, while the other, the group to which Proclatus belongs to, is made up exclusively. Of aquatic plants. Protococlatus antiquus, Virginia Tech pa- paleobiologist and study co-author Xu Hai Xiao said is the sister of the evolutionary great-great grandmother of all green plants alive today. So interesting news on that find found in northern China um, with a new fossil of green algae Hopefully um, there can be some more studies done on it, Um, we can see some more relationship with uh, the plants that are seen in the ocean today, Um, and this will give people uh, a fuller view of biology uh, with this study on um, this ancient, ancient piece of seaweed. But it was just very interesting to see that um, some good is happening in that area in China, amidst all the kind of chaos and unruliness of the uh, coronavirus Uh, so not everything has halted there Um, they're able to continue academic research and and prolonged studies and uh, this is a positive win for them to find this in this region our second piece of news is uh, a little bit darker Airstrikes on rebel-controlled southwestern Syrian killed at least 16 people Tuesday, including two students and two teachers, opposition activists said, as government forces closed in on a town considered a symbol of the uprising against President Bashar al-Assad. The violence came as Turkey's president announced that a Russian delegation would arrive the following day to resume talks aimed at easing tensions in the northwest Idlib region, the area is the country's last rebel-controlled stronghold, and the Syrian government's military campaign there, backed by Russia, was creating a humanitarian catastrophe with nearly 1 million people displaced from their homes as of December 1st. So, most of them are now crowding areas close to the border with Turkey, living in camps, shelters, abandoned homes, and in open fields. It is the largest single displacement of Syrian war, now in its ninth year. In response to the upsurge in violence, UN spokesperson Stephanie Jurek said that the UN has launched a revised appeal for 500 million U.S. dollars to assist at least 1.1 million people in need. He said discussions are underway with Turkey, double the number of trucks crossing the border with humanitarian aid from 50 to 100. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan said no consensus was reached for a four-way meeting next month between the leaders of France, Germany, Russia, and Turkey, meant to address the crisis. Erdogan said that Russia's Vladimir Putin may still come to Ru- turkey next week for a bilateral meeting but the kremlin has not so far confirmed a march 5th visit by the russian president to turkey tensions have been running high between turkey and russia which support opposing sides of the war in syria the syrian government offensive has shattered a fragile ceasefire between that turkey and russia reached in 2018 and Turkey has threatened military action unless Syrian forces retreat to positions they held before the advance by the end of February. Russian supports Syria at its highest level, Erdogan told reporters before departing for a visit to Azerbaijan. Even if they deny it, we have evidence We are forced to be in this fight. Turkish officials have reported small progress in two previous rounds of Turkey-Russia meetings, but said the results were not satisfactory. Turkey has set up dozens of observation posts as part of the 2018 agreement, many of which are now behind Syrian government lines. Ankara also sent thousands of additional troops into Idlib in recent weeks, and was frequently engaged in military exchanges with Syrian forces. At least 16 Turkish soldiers were killed in clashes this month during the Syrian government's push on the last rebel stronghold. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo told a news conference at the State Department on Tuesday that the Syrian government offensive only heightens the risk of conflict with our NATO ally turkey adding that the u.s was working together with turkey on seeing what we can do together he called for a permanent ceasefire the regime will not be able to obtain military victory the fighting appeared to be uh the fighting appeared to intensify however with dozens of airstrikes reported tuesday Opposition activists and war moderator said at least 16 people were killed in Idlib province Tuesday. They included two students, two teachers who were killed in in the Idlib city where a school was struck with a cluster bomb filled rocket. And 10 civilians who were killed in an airstrike on the town of Marat Misren in Idlib province. The deaths were reported by the Britain-based Syrian Observatory for Human Rights and Idlib past opposition activist Hadi Abdullah. To the south of Nairab, Syrian troops captured two new villages, raising to 10 the number of areas captured in the province since Monday, according to state media. The capture of Marat Ter and Marat Sin brings government forces closer to Kam Frambel, a major opposition-held town that gained attention in the earlier years of the Syrian conflict, during weekly anti-government prote- protests because of humorous English-language banners carried by protesters. The banners were initiated by anti-government journalist Rahed Faris, who was shot dead in the town along with his friends Hamoud al-Junaid, in November 2018, Faris was a harsh critic of Islam militants that controlled much of Idlib. In Damascus, one civilian was killed and two others were injured by bombs planted in two cars near Umahad Square in the Syrian capital of Damascus, state-run news agency SANA said. It was not immediately clear who the target was. So as you can see, there has been some more aggression that has been uh, dealt with with Syria and its citizens as it continues to bomb its own citizens in this civil war. More lives are lost, um, and it's just uh, hard to kind of hear and see that the tragedy is going on. An eight-year-long civil war that has been taking place in this country. Uh, Unfortunately, mediation is no longer an option. And uh, the, this military regime that is in control will continue to do what it can to gain power again. Um, so it's going to try to just do it through force and aggression. And the opposite can, I don't know, I, it, it's very hard to speculate on something like this, but it seems like the opposition is, is seen the same way. that The only way that things can be solved is through violence. Um, it's sad to see civilians caught in the the middle of this. And to see them lose their lives, especially students and teachers and um, just regular folks trying to go on with their day. So uh, that's what's going on in Syria. Unfortunately, unrest is still occurring. And uh, I'll continue to report on this if anything else is brought up. With our third story, we're going to talk about Japan now. Dick Pound, the longest serving member of the IOC, estimates there's a three-month window to decide the fate of the Tokyo Olympics, which are being threatened by the vast spreading COVID-19. Pound, in an exclusive interview with the Associated Press, did not sound alarmist, but he did speak frankly about the risks facing the Olympics, which opens on July 24th. Pound has been an International Olympic Committee member since 1978, 13 years longer than current president Thomas Bach. You could certainly go to two months out if you had to, Pound said, which would mean putting off a decision until late May and hoping the virus is under control. A lot of things that have to start happening. You've got to start ramping up your security, your food, the Olympic Village, the hotels. The media folks will be there in their buildings, their studios. And if we get to the point of not going ahead, Pound speculated, you're probably looking at a cancellation. This is the new war, and you have to face it. And in and, in, and around that time, I'd say folks are going to have to ask, is this under sufficient control that we can be confident about going to Tokyo or not? China on Tuesday reported 508 new cases of the infection and another 71 deaths, 68 of them in the central city of Wuhan, where the new coronavirus was first detected in December. The update brings mainland China's total to 77,658 cases of infection and 2,663 deaths. South Korea now has the second most cases in the world with 977, including 10 deaths. Clusters of the illness are now appearing in the Middle East and Europe. This could signal, signal a new stage in the spread of the virus, with four deaths reported in Japan as of Tuesday. Pound encourage athletes to keep training. About 11,000 are expected for the Olympics, and another 4,400 for the parapool. Olympics which opens on August 25th. As far as we know you're going to be in Tokyo, Pound said. All indications are at this stage that it should, will be business as usual so keep focused on your sport and be sure that the IOC is not going to send you in a pandemic situation. Canada's women's soccer coach Kenneth heiner Muller said he will leave the question of the coronavirus and Olympics to whoever is the expert on this. I sincerely hope that they will make sure that everybody around the world stays healthy and that something around the coro- that coronavirus can be done. I think that's the most important part, the Dane told a media conference call Tuesday. And obviously we want to participate in the Olympics and hopefully the games are going to continue. But my concern are not on that. I hope they know their way around it. The way of making sure all people stay healthy, as healthy as they can be. And then hopefully we'll continue with the Olympics. But right now, it's not the forefront of my mind. We're just continuing as if the Olympics are going to happen anyway. The modern Olympics, dating from 1896, have only been cancelled during wartime, and faced boycotts in 1976 in Montreal, in 1980 in Moscow, In 1984 in Los Angeles, all in Pound's memory. The Olympics in 1940 were to be in Tokyo, but were called off because of Japan's war with China and World War II. Pound called uncertainty a major problem and repeated the IOC's stance, that it's depending on consultation with the World Health Organization, a a United Nations body, to make any move, so far, the games are on. It's a big, big decision, and you can't take it until you have a reliable facts on which to base it, Pound said. He said, whatever advice the IOC is now getting, it doesn't call for cancellation or postponement of the Olympics. You just don't postpone something of the size or scale of the Olympics. There's so many moving parts. So many countries, so many different seasons, and competitive seasons, and televised seasons, and you can't just say, we'll do it in October. If changes have to be made, Pound said, every option faced obstacles. Pound said moving to another city seemed unlikely. To move the place is difficult because there are few places in the world that could think of gearing up facilities in that short time to put something on, Pound said. London mayoral candidate Sean Bailey has suggested suggested the British capital as an alternative. Tokyo government Yukuro Koiki suggested that was an inappropriate offer, using the virus as political campaign fodder. Pound said he would not favor a dispersal of events over various venues because that wouldn't constitute an Olympic Games. You'd end up having a series of world championships. He said it would be very difficult difficult to spread around all these sports in a 17-day period with only a few months' notice. Staying in Tokyo but moving it back a few months would be unlikely to satisfy North American broadcasters whose schedules are full in the fall with American football, college football, European soccer, basketball, baseball, and ice hockey. Of course, other world broadcasters also have jam schedules. It would be tough to get the kind of blank coverage that people expect around the Olympic Games, Pound said. It's certainly tougher than it would have been in 1964 in Tokyo, when you didn't have the saturated sports schedule on television. How about delaying for a year, but staying in Tokyo? Japan is officially spending... 12.6 billion dollars US to organize the Olympics. Although a national audit board says the country is spending twice that much. When you have to writ, when you have to ask if you can hold the bubble together for an extra year, Pound said, then of course you have to fit all of this into the entire international sports schedule. Pound said the IOC has been building up an emergency fund for such circumstances, reported to be about billion U.S. That could fund international sports federations who depend on income from the IOC to operate, and the IOC itself. This would be what you normally call a force majeure, said Pound, a Canadian lawyer by training, using the legal phrase for unforeseeable circumstances. It's not an insurable risk, and it's not one that can be attributed to one of those or the other of the parties so everybody takes their lumps there would be a lack of revenue on the olympic movement side he said broadcasters may have their own insurance that would mitigate some of the losses about 73 percent of the ioc's 5.7 billion dollars u.s income in a four-year olympic cycle is from broadcast rights pound said the future of the tokyo games was largely out of the IOC's hands, depending on the virus, and it abates. If it gets to be something like the Spanish flu, Pound said, referring to a deadly pandemic earlier in the 20th century that killed millions, at that level of lethality, then everybody's got to take their medicine. So, some interesting news coming from Japan on Decisions that will be made regarding the Olympics um, if they're going to take the risk so far. Uh, it looks like the games are on Hope they're hoping and being the most optimistic That the things will be settled out within a couple months I'm a little less optimistic. I don't think that things are going to be that efficient in terms of containing this virus and ensuring that it does not spread anymore so um, I'm gonna see some problems Um I wouldn't be surprised if it's moved to 2021, uh, but we'll see what happens. Uh, it's interesting to see that people are getting prepared. Obviously, athletes are in fear of contracting the virus like this when they're trying to be at their top of their game, um, and especially in an event like the Olympics, where they want to represent their country and set records. So I will let you guys know if anything else is brought forward about the Olympics Uh, And what it has to do with the coronavirus. And with that guys. That ends the new segment of this podcast. And we'll move on to my favorite segment. Which is the advice corner with Kevin. So with our advice corner. The listeners like you. uh, Can send me a message through Twitter. Or through other means. Like reviewing this podcast. And I will answer them on Kevin's Corner of Advice. So our advice uh, that we are given today is about coffee. So how can I stay awake throughout the day without drinking coffee? So very important question. Let's dive into this a little bit more. I find myself to be extremely tired every day, more than I should be. I get a good amount of sleep, seven to eight hours per night. I really hate the taste of coffee, and that's the answer most people give me when I ask the, this question. What else can I do to stay awake and energized, especially in the mornings? So, a very important question. Uh, some of us have to wake up quite early to meet uh, schedules for work, um, school, and other things. Um, and we have to do it Sometimes forming routines around something like coffee to keep us up or to keep us energized at the beginning of the day. Um, Now, some things that I would suggest uh, the first thing that I'm going to say right now, as I am a coffee connoisseur, I love coffee. I think that most people don't know what it's like to have good coffee. Um, I think most people have had bad coffee in their lives and they continue to drink bad coffee. Um, So, my first piece of advice, if you're not liking the coffee that you're having right now, I would try to find better coffee or learn from some YouTube uh, videos. James Hoffman, for example, a coffee connoisseur, and try to get some better tasting coffee. Maybe you can enjoy the taste of coffee. Now, I know there's some people who are completely against coffee and the caffeine that it provides and just because of the taste and the look of it. Um, so with that, I can offer some other beverage ideas. Hot tea. Um, A lot of green teas have a lot of ginseng, which also carries caffeine. Um, And the green tea leaves, I believe, are caffeinated as well. Matcha tea, also made for green leaf tea, uh, from green leaf tea leaves that are crushed up, is delicious. So you can make matcha, lattes, anything like that will provide you with the caffeine that you need. Uh, The last thing I would advise, I guess, is you could try caffeine pills. Uh, Caffeine pills are, I I don't want to recommend them, but I've heard that they're used in sports and other things. Um, They're what they say they are. They have caffeine in them. They increase your metabolism a little bit. And you can take them, and I'm assuming you would be quite energized by that. Um, I would probably not recommend this. Um, Talk to a doctor before you do this. um, And I would probably take this off the table. Uh, because I have another piece of advice, and this would be my, besides my coffee and my green tea advice, my number one piece of advice uh, is when you wake up, physical activity. So I find that if I do, um, I do a set of 30 push-ups as soon as I wake up to get me energized in the day because I'm very groggy, I find doing that exercise gets my heart racing Um, And everything gets kick-started pretty fast uh, by doing some exercises. So um, I would really recommend getting to some exercises, if that be do 30 push-ups, grabbing some weights, uh, going for like a little elliptical run, something to get your body moving and starting that engine. That can give you that quick burst of energy to stay awake to begin with. Now, staying awake might be hard because you can't really... Uh, Go for a run when you're at work or lift weights at your desk or at school. Um, So you might have to think of some other things that'll keep you up a little bit. uh, If that be like forcing yourself to drink, um, I don't know, some water or some tea like I've talked about. Um, That just helps kind of keep your body active and awake. All right, guys, I'm going to end my advice there. And thank you guys all for watching or listening. I'm sorry. Um, If you like this podcast, please rate it on Apple uh, Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Don't forget to subscribe. If you want to check out more of my content, you can see me at youtube.com, at Kevin Hobie, or Studio Kevin. And don't forget, you can also leave me a question or a mention at Hobie at twitter.com. So, I want you guys to remember to brush your teeth, and floss, and I will see you on the next episode. Bye!